In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And here on week two of our celebration of Black Music Month, we will spend some time with the 2006 adaptation of the classic dare I say, legendary musical from 1981, Dreamgirls, starring Jamie Foxx, Beyonce Knowles, Anika Noni Rose, (laughs) Eddie Murphy, and introducing Jennifer Hudson. But before we get into the dreams, Mr. (laughs) Webb. Yes. Thank you, Vincent. As always, we like to touch in with everybody who hits What was that? What was that? You know what? Thank you, Vincent. Like, I didn't throw it to you. And here's Lynn with the letters. (laughs) You know what it is? You always said this was going to happen when we started doing this live. Then you're going to get distracted because people are going to be chiming in on the side and you're going to lose your place. See? And, See? and that's what happened. See? A comment came in See? just as I was getting ready See? to talk. And See? it threw me off. See, and suddenly you were a 1981 newscaster. <laughs> Thank you, Vincent. Here are the letters. <laughs> like, this is the part where the camera should go to you, and then I stand up, and people see I don't have pants on, and I go get a boiler maker <laughs> and smoke a quick cigarette. <laughs> And I told somebody to tell the girl to put some more ice in here. <laughs> you calling us a drink? Right. Uh, um, uh, uh, Miss Williams, she she's the producer. Yes, I said tell the girl. You know who I meant. Because <laughs> it's okay. 1981. Before you get in trouble. Before you get in trouble. Um Thank you, each and every one of you who chime in and who are watching us as we are streaming live on YouTube and in our Facebook group, The Me Show Mission. Uh, shout out to Robert Monroe Jr., who says that he is digging the shirt, Vincent. Why, thank you. Why, thank you. Little old school Luke Cage. Luke Cage, hero for hire, straight from the 1970s Marvel Comics edition. Aaron Fry says, hello, gentlemen. Deborah hey, Battle up, says, how are you doing today? Hey, Deborah. Blue, Blue Girl 718 says, hi. Hi, each and every one of you. Um, yes, you are all our dream girls. Uh, <laughs> 
As always, we like to kick off our show looking at uh, some of the feedback that we've gotten from each and every one of you. And Vince, we got an email literally minutes before we went on air from one Damon Williams. My younger brother. Yes. Peace and blessings, Len and Vince. Len, I seem to recall a conversation you and I had a few months ago about you guys reviewing The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. I suggested it for one of your mother may eyes, to which you responded, nah, bruh, it has Dr. J in it. That's disrespectful. <laughs> see? See? We talked... We talk- <laughs> We talked about how goofy the concept was and even more goofy that for some reason it always seemed to be playing during the holiday season in our household. Well, it ended up being a mother may I after all. How about that? I swear it was a complete coincidence my brother picked it for May. Mm-hmm. P.S. What do you guys think about a few episodes dedicated to black movies with sports as the backdrop? There are some great ones like The Hurricane and He Got Game. And how can we forget the greatest with Muhammad Ali playing himself, complete <laughs> with the with the best version of the greatest love of all during the credits? Oh. Anyway, keep up the good work, fellas. Oh, what do you think about that, Lynn? You're the sports guy. You, you want a sports-themed month? I don't like well, sports, the, but I like sports movies. Uh, that's that. That's I was going to ask, because I am definitively the sports guy between the two of us. You know, I don't know how invested you would be in de- dedicating a theme towards these films, um, but especially in light that sports are going to be starting back up soon, mm-hmm. that might not be a, a bad idea. Yeah. I'm with it. Oh, yeah. I'm with it. I mean, we maybe got one of the worst ones out of the way with the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Um, All right. Easy. I do remember the conversation that I had with your brother about that film at your house and how it would be disrespectful to lump Julius Irving's only film in Mother May I. But I was wrong. And, and and do you actually remember? Because both of you had been drinking. <laughs> I do remember because oh. <laughs> because in my inebriation, I was even more defiant about how no, it's disrespectful to Doctor J. That's the doc, man. Doc's my my. That's, that's my role model, dog. No, I can't put Doctor J. Mother, may I do? You gonna come up to me with that? Yeah, get out of oh, here, Damon. Oh boy, Baltimore dude talking slick about Dr. J. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Well, in the immortal words of the musical Chicago, he had it coming. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There you go. And I don't know about the best version of the greatest love of all. Some people might say Whitney Houston, but I'm a Randy Watson man myself. Oh my God. <laughs> you might Section remember child. him from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. <laughs> anyway, we got a, um, let's see, I think we got at least one more email that we need to go through. Vince, uh, right here. And this, 
is from Eva Gritz, the scientist. Hi, Eva. Hey, guys. She writes to us in regards to the thing with two heads. Did you know that Rosie Greer wrote a book about Needlepoint, very sincerely titled Needlepoint for Men? Greer said that Needlepoint helped him overcome his fear of flying. I, I, I was not aware of that. Were you aware of that, Vince? I think I knew about the Needlepoint and, and his fear mm. of flying. I did not know he had written a book. And now I have to add to my list of weird black ephemera that I'm looking for. <laughs> Just so that you can say you have it on the shelf. Just so I can say I can. Like, I wish I could say right now, I do know that and like reach behind me and pull it off. <laughs> but soon you will. But soon. Uh, she, she continues, also related to Ray Milland and what you said about 50s sci-fi. I've watched The Thing with Two Heads as a double feature with X, the man with X-ray eyes. Oh, there's an interesting, one. there's a very interesting Don Rickles cameo in there too. I hope you and your loved ones are safe and making it okay through this, Eva. Oh, well, thank you, Eva. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I remember X, the man with the X-ray eyes. That so is do a, I. So do I. It's a 50s film. It's, I was it's about to say. Defiantly in its time, a movie of its time. But um, yeah, it might be, make it. I, I can see that making an interesting double play with the thing that with two heads. But I, the thing with two heads would have to come after the man with the X-ray eyes because the thing with two heads will put you to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Also seem to remember the, the, the man with the X-ray eyes quietly being a little disturbing. Really, I don't like. I feel that. like there I'd was some. I feel like there was some body horror, like like the eye stuff. Mm. I, I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I remember right. it freaking me out a little bit when I was a kid. Has there ever been a movie that freaked you out as a kid, and then you return to it as an adult, and you almost feel ashamed for your kid self? Like, what were you scared about? What movie scared me that I have revisited? I mean, we talked about Candyman. And right, how Candyman right. wasn't as scary. But I have to say, my, my, my real big ones from when I was a kid, Carrie, mm. The Exorcist. That's a good one. Probably, um, oh, dog, I don't even remember the name of them. But any of those, those like small English village movies from the early oh, 70s. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, yeah. That came out like maybe right after the Hammer films. Right. Right, right. It was like right like like around Wicker Man time and like nothing mm -hmm. really happened in them. They were just yeah. really creepy. Really really is all about the mood. Yeah. Those 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 still freak me out a little bit. Wow. Like I don't wow. really I, there were two shows when when we were kids on um on Saturday night, there was Creature Feature, yeah, which yeah. was which played on a um, DC station, Channel Twenty, and there was mm -hmm. Ghost Host, Ghost which Host. played on Channel Forty Five. Creature okay. Feature would have like the man with X ray eyes, and you know you fool around and catch like like just monster movies, you know Abbott and Costello, like like it really was a potpourri of films, right? But Ghost Host was straight up scary. Mm. 
and they would show those films I'm talking about. And like, there was a movie called The Gargoyles. Oh, was, I seem to remember that. Yeah, but like, I ain't really mess with ghost hosts like that. Really? So like, when I of, was when I was growing up, the horror movies in my time were they were all, all on the UHF channel. Uh-huh. And this was back in the days when you had like some guy dressed up in a creepy costume who was the host. Right. Our host was Dr. Shock. Um, and he would put on movies that, you know, the, the Draculas, the Frankensteins, werewolves and everything like that. And I liked them. They were cool. But the movie that scared me as a as a child was what I didn't know at the time was a TV movie. And it was called and it was called the um, the screaming woman. And it was all about this woman who was a senior citizen and like, you know, her her family was thinking that she maybe was getting a, a touch on the senile side. So they were thinking about what they have to do. She couldn't no longer live by herself in this huge mansion. And every time she would go out to her park, like, uh, uh, well, not to her park, but outside, like on her grounds, she would hear someone screaming and she couldn't figure out where the screaming was coming from and nobody else would hear it. And it was scared. And um, they just thought she was crazy. And, I had like maybe three blocks away from me was Albury Park, which was a park that looked very much like her, her, um, uh, the grounds of her home. So when I would be walking home late at night from playing ball, I would swear that the the, the screaming woman is 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 the I hear screaming from the, from the from the. The, between the trees and I would go racing my butt home that movie scared me so much that I did not watch that again I probably watched it when I was about 10 years old I did not see that movie again until I was in my 30s I had opportunities to see it and I said no I'm good screaming woman I don't mess with it was it still scary what, it wasn't it not only was it not scary Vince it was because now I real and watching in, in my 30s see that it's a TV movie, it's very low budget. Right. It's very and and the conceit is that the screaming woman, because nobody needs to go look up this movie, is a woman who admittedly is buried alive in <laughs> in her. <laughs> so she's got reason to scream. I mean, she's screaming with a reason. <laughs> That but seems fair. <laughs> seems fair, right? You know, right, if right. I'm buried alive, right. I might, I might be audibly, this, you know, this might upset me, <laughs> disturbed. Right. But, um, but it was very low budget. It was not scary at all. Very badly acted. Um, it was still fun to watch it. You know, just to right. return to my childhood again. But, um, yeah, that that's the movie that really scared me. You know, people, I'm, I'm, uh, have been commenting in the chat. And we were talking about films, possibly doing sports films. Robert Monroe mentioned how he mentioned that we have to do the Jackie Robinson story. We actually already have done the Jackie Robinson. I was about story. to say we did that. We we examined the life of Jackie Robinson in the film <laughs> adaptation of his life. Jackie, as Robinson. it was portrayed by Jackie Robinson. By Jackie Robinson. Deborah Battle brought up the film Wilma which is the movie about uh, Wilma Rudolph. Oh, 
okay. I would be interested in doing that only because yeah. uh, um, I'm sure there's tons about Wilma Rudolph that I do not know. Yeah. So yeah. I, absolutely. So um, yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like the the missionaries are in for a for a month of sports film. So maybe we'll see if we can't make that happen sooner okay. than later. I Let's, like it. Okay. No, oh, you're welcome, Vince. Anything for you. Uh, let's see. Let's touch on some news. Okay. Um, did you see Vince that Cecily Tyson will receive a Peabody award for her 70 years in entertainment? I did very well deserved. Very the career well achievement deserved. award seeks to honor those whose work and commitment to broadcasting and digital media have left an indelible mark on American culture, legendary actress Cecily Tyson is set to receive a Peabody Award. The awards handed out by the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of, of Georgia seek to recognize those in television, radio, and online media that invigorate, inspire, or educate. And in Tyson's case, they seek to honor uh, an American treasure whose career spans all the way back to the 1950s and how she has worked very strong for the advancement of programming that changes the culture and specifically transformed how black Americans are considered both in media and off screen. Very nice and very well-deserved. Always nice when people get their flowers while they're still here. Most definitely. Uh, Speaking of that, the, uh, um, the, the Criterion Collection, Vince. I know you're a fan of the Criterion Collection. I am. They, you you know they have it, their own streaming channel. I do. And on, on it, they are streaming more than a dozen movies focused on the lives of black Americans. And they're streaming them for free, including Cheryl Dunye's The Watermelon Woman. Uh, it's one of the more than dozen films about the black experience that you can stream stream for free on Criterion. They've got um, Maya Angelou's Down in the Delta, Oscar Micheaux's Body and Soul, uh, Khalid Allah's 2018 documentary Black Mother. And not only that, but they have also committed to making a $25,000 donation to organizations combating racism in America. And they've also committed to donating 5,000 per month moving forward. Well, that's fantastic. It's, it's nice to see people put money where their mouth is. Yeah. Criterion employees will determine where the donations are applied, identifying bail funds, community organizations, legal defense funds and other advocacy groups as potential recipients. Excellent. That's, Excellent. That, Always that's good to hear dope. that. I like that, man. I, I am all for like you said, I'm all for people putting the you know, it's. It's cool that we've got all these people releasing statements right now right. about how they, there's, you know, we're in solidarity with black America about everything that's going on. Please we stop walk on. burning stuff down. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. That's always the subtext for me. Okay. Okay. Oh, the, the subtext is either please stop burning stuff down or take it to the next block. That right. is the subtext right. all the time with all that stuff. Right. But it's cool when 
companies put their money where their mouth is. And Absolutely. the Criterion Collection is joining other companies such as like Peloton and Ben and Jerry's and, you know, saying something and actually doing something. Yeah. So, so yes, that is excellent to hear. Big up on them. All right. Let's see. Is there anything else that we need to cover, Vince? Oh, there was one last thing, one more thing that I thought was kind of cool. Uh, Duante Bettingfield shared a post hey, from, Lindsay, from Lindsay Walton with us from June 6th. She said, on this Saturday, I'd like to offer a break for my people who spent the week struggling. Here's mm. a list of not what I call black struggle movies. These are films about black folks that do not involve police, civil rights, fighting racism, black criminal glorification, black exploitation, or white savior saviorism. Uh, don't get me wrong, the above listed are fine films and I love several of them. I just don't want that after the week that I had. So she gave us a list of films that she would say are not struggle films. And there are interesting films on here. Uh, Idlewild, mm -hmm. Class Act, Boomerang, The Best Man, um, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's no black struggle in that it might be a struggle to get through um uh bad boys um yeah, yeah. soul food drumline think like a man and also she puts on here the film that we're about to review dream girls dream girls boys yeah, will make you happy they will and I'm just curious, would you consider Dream Girl a film that's not about the black struggle? I think there is a little bit of commentary on uh, that. I mean, I the think, the, you know, it's, it's like the civil rights movement is kind of in the background a little bit, but I don't think it's part of the plot. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's nobody really, mar it's nobody marching, nobody wearing them skinny ties. That's true. That's so. very true. Good point. Good point, Matt. Uh, Dominique Dominique says that she likes Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. <laughs> there you go. Now, well, there you go. There's something I don't something think I've ever seen everyone. it from beginning to end. Mm, okay. Well, <laughs> that will be a fun day when that day comes on the mission. That's all I'm going to That's say. That's all you're going to say? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say, Vince. Oh, I can't wait for when you sit home, sit down to watch Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins. All right. I will, I will take that. That's... That's quite an ominous, <laughs> ominous statement. Hey, whenever my words come echoing in your head, just remember, Dominique, Dominique, she likes Welcome Home, Roscoe. Yes, yeah, yeah, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. We have documentation. That's, that's right. So just remember that. Right, As you're watching right. it, remember, Dominique, Dominique likes this movie. Right. <laughs> Let you that go. be your guide. Let that be my guide. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
we invite you to, if you're liking what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Join our our Facebook group, The Michelle Mission, where we have a lot of fun with all of our missionaries. That's where a lot of this news come in. They We sit back and, and banty about movies in, in the Facebook group. And like and follow us and subscribe on YouTube to the Michelle Mission so that you can check out when we are uh, doing our live shows. We're actually going to be doing a couple of extra bonus videos throughout the week where we answer some of the questions of the day. A little short videos that we're going to be putting out there as well. Um, we've been ordered to by our new social social media director, Toya. So <laughs> that's what we've got to do. Um, and I invite you, if you do like us, there's two things that you can do to help support the show. Wherever you find our show, whether it be on YouTube, in the Facebook group, and wherever you find a podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review because that helps people really find the show. It really, really does. And as well as if you go to themishowmission.com, hit swag and buy some of our, our swag that we've got there. We've got t-shirts, we've got sweatshirts. Um, you can get like mugs and all this type of stuff. Got got at least 10 different designs for you. And there are more coming in the coming months. So uh, check out the Michelle Mission store brought to you by T Public and uh, get some get some swag there. The swag wears good. I, I, I love my sweatshirt. It's one of my favorite sweatshirts. It's not this shirt, but it's it's hanging in the in the closet there. OK. While you do that, let's get into our review of Dreamgirls. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Jimmy Early on the road starting tomorrow morning. Hey, thank you so much. You're saving Jimmy's life. I'm at your feet. I'll do anything for y'all. Exactly what would you like Jimmy to do for you, baby? happen all the time, baby. There's got to be a better way for us to get our music, our artists, into a broader audience. Y'all going to stay here and open your own act. Did you say our own act? Effie, <laughs> going to sing lead. What do you mean? I always sing lead. We're your dream girl. Change. I'm talking change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're your dream girl. I promise you I was going to make you a right? You can't have it all, baby. No, no, there's no way. No, 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 no way. I'm living without you. I'm staying 
Can't you see? The time is now. But you gotta believe. Dream Girls, a 2006 adaptation of the 1981 Broadway musical, entails the story of a trio of three black female soul singers who cross over to the pop charts in the early 60s, facing their own personal struggles along the way. Directed by Bill Condon and also written by Bill Condon, based on the original Broadway book by Tom Ian. Dreamgirls stars, stars Beyonce Knowles, Jamie Foxx, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Uh, Lynn, stop doing that. It's distracting. <laughs> what is happening? I'm showing the pictures of the actors. Yeah, yes, yes. Anika Noni Rose and Jennifer Hudson. What was that? It's just flashing on my screen. I thought I was having a fit. I'm trying to treat this more like a, a, a television show, Vince. Well, so well, you have to warn visuals. me. You can't just be flashing stuff. It's like a skull that says obey. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's Junkie Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Will you please just let me take my heroin in peace? I just want my heroin. Things aren't working out for me. So now it's heroin Tom. Okay, Lynn. <coughs> Dream Girls was the choice of Lynn Webb here on the second week of Black Music Month here on the show mission. Lynn, what do you have to say about Dream Girls? Well, Dream Girls is actually a part of my childhood. Um, hmm. I remember when the original stage production went up in 1981 and it wasn't long after it it hit Broadway where it played for like four years, like over mm -hmm. a thousand uh, performances. It was a huge, huge hit. And I remember that my mother took my older sister and a couple of her girlfriends to see it. Right. And they came home and they had the um, I think they had the 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 uh, no, they didn't have the live recording at that time, but they had like, you know, like T-shirts and stuff like they get from it. And they came home singing all of the songs. And because it is a play that is loosely based well, some would argue how loosely based mm. on the history of Motown and the Supremes, along with a couple of other performers from back in that era. Um, it was a movie that, I mean, a, excuse me, a play that really resonated with my older sister who grew up through that whole, through that whole era. Right. Uh, and then I remember years later, like about maybe two or three years later, my mom made it a point to take my sister, my youngest, my twin sister, Leslie, to see Dream Girls on stage because it was still still um, playing, still running. So and I think my older sister with, went with them as well. And it was on that visit that they actually got the original cast album. Okay. So now so now they come home. 
and the music of Dream Girls is just playing forever mm-hmm. in my house. Um, and I am falling in love with the music even though I don't really know what the music is speaking of. I mean, I know the song Step Onto the Bad Side. I don't know what, exactly what it means in its relation to the movie, I mean, into the play, but I just know that it's it's just this really thumping piece of funky, funky music, right? Right. Um, I know that there is this, you know, crescendo that is, I am telling you that I am not going. Uh, and it's playing at nauseam in my house and I am, I'm actually enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying it a great deal. So it wasn't till years later that I learned that I myself was able to see a performance of dream girls on stage. It was of course, by then it wasn't the original, um, performers. It was no longer Jennifer Holiday, Shirley Ralph, Loretta Devine, uh, Oba, Oba Babatunde mm-hmm. uh, in there. But it was still a great cast. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you who was in that cast, but I remember looking at it, knowing all of those songs, and thought whoever was performing them, they were doing them well. They were doing them justice when I went to see them. It was a great time. Okay. So... So when I heard that they were going to be doing Dream Girls the movie, I was like, okay, I'm with it. I could see how this might be able to be adapted to to uh to film. I'm interested in it. Um they announced the cast. I'm not I've I'm going on record. I'm not the hugest Beyonce fan, but I could certainly see her in this film. Um Jamie Foxx, Eddie Murphy, two actors who even by then in 2006 were known for uh, having some acting chops, but also having some singing chops as well. So mm-hmm. it made sense to kind of right. cast them in, cast them in this film. Uh, but then they announced that they were going to give the role of Effie to Jennifer Hudson, who at this time was only known for you know her stint on American Idol which at that time was one of the if not the biggest show in America right 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 and Jennifer Hudson was a person who got on this amateur singing uh, show and blew the house down took the the world by by storm with the power of her voice so when they said that she was going to be cast in this film i was like okay i'm with it i don't know whether or not she can act though because there's still a fair amount of acting to do but as but singing wise she i have no doubt that she is going to tear this movie apart i remember going to the film to the movie theaters watching it and i remember i can still feel it Every time Jennifer Hudson would sing on that film in in the movie, my cheeks would feel flushed Mm -hmm. because it was just so much power coming from her on that screen. And even more so than that, she was so naturalistic in her acting. You know, I think she she didn't know what she didn't know about acting. So she was just up there doing her thing right now. 
I've since learned that she actually put in the work to get to that level of acting and the director Billy Condon definitely worked with her to get there but the it show it it shows on the screen really masterfully because it doesn't come off as acting it comes off as very naturalistic very in the moment and she rightfully stole this film and walked home with the best supporting actress Oscar Academy Award um in uh, in commemoration for that returning to this movie i was like all right will it hold up will this film hold up to my feelings that i saw totally unbiased in 2006 just wanting to go revisit a piece of my childhood on on screen and i am very very happy to say that this film held up very very well. My cheeks were flushed all over again by Jennifer Hudson's powerful, earth-shattering voice. Her emotions that she wears on her sleeve throughout this film, her her acting, everything that she does, I could not take my eyes off of her. She completely steals the film from everyone except, and I got to give props where props is due, Eddie Murphy, because mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, who at the time was in talks for possibly walking home with the best supporting uh, Oscar for a male actor on his own. He ultimately did not. And when he didn't, there was a part of me that was saying, well, I remember him in the film, but I don't remember if he did that much in the movie. Returning to this film, I, I forgot how much he was in the movie and I forgot how much he does in this film and that he does so much with so little. There are moments mm. in this film where Eddie Murphy is in the scene and he's not talking. He's just uh, using his eyes. He's using his, phys- his physicality to show you everything, all the emotions that he is going through as his star, which was on high at the beginning of the film, has slowly diminished as the film wears on. Um, and it actually is probably some of the, if not the best acting that I've seen Eddie Murphy do in a film. So it was a joy to return to that. It was a joy to return to these musical numbers, which I think for the most part are well-timed with the film. Um, They don't come off. They don't, I don't think that they take away from the film. I don't think they feel like, you know, okay, now we've got to cut to a musical number. You know, I think it's, it's well, it's well crafted in the film. It reminds me a great deal of Chicago, um, that film, oh, okay. which I I felt also very artfully uh, worked in the musical numbers with the along with the narrative in that movie. Um, Chicago is definitely a more showy um, film, and, and by nature, it's a more showier uh, stage production. This this film, uh, I think. It 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 open it opens up the the story, the stage um, production, but it doesn't open it up to its detriment. It it opens up very wisely. You still feel like you're you're in this world that they're creating. I think it's it definitely still feels like it is of this time, the fifties, the sixties, and into the seventies, and I believe it may even touch into the late eighties of, of this film, uh, in the eras that it crosses. Um, 
I think it, I think Billy Condon's uh, screenplay for the film uh, for works for the most part. It's you know it's a drama, and there's there's something there's some things that it has to give you so that it feels that it is of the piece which inspired it. The, you know the Broadway production, um, but it still feels very much like a film. I think all of the performances. Uh, across the board are great. I think Jamie Foxx, I think his character is a li- maybe a little one note, mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of telling yep. that as, as much as he looks like a, a, uh, a snake oil salesman throughout the whole film, he does convincingly come off as like possibly a good guy. Maybe he just doesn't look like a good guy in the, in the beginning of the film, but you know, the worm turns as you knew it was going to happen. You were just waiting for it to happen. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, I think that uh, Danny Glover, mm. actually in a very small role, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. but actually it airs a, a, a very lends a very great air of gravitas to this film. Um, I think I even think that in a in a blink and you miss her, Loretta Devine. You yeah. know, who was in the original stage production, actually played the character of Laurel, your girl, Anika Noni Rose's uh, character, played th- that in the original stage production, returns here for a very, very small bit. Mm-hmm. But the power of her acting is that in just a few words, she gets all you gets across all you need to know about her character her character's relationship with the person that she's talking about. And God bless you. Loretta divine reminds you that, Oh, I can sing too. Right. And she, and she brings the jazzy blues to this, to this movie like none other. Um, And, and I will also say that I, I, at the end of the day, don't feel that Beyonce does uh, is the greatest actress in the world, but I think that Beyonce, for the most part, gets out of the way of this in this film. She is mm-hmm. she does not she does not pull focus in the uh, in this film to me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, ultimately. I just really enjoyed returning to this film. I had such a good time watching it all over again. Yeah. Well, I, I I'll, I'll say you liked it more than I did. Ooh. And I liked it. You, you know, I thought it was, a, you know, I'll start with the good. Uh, first, I think it's a gorgeous looking film. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about this previously. I love black films that have these really high production values. And I read, you know, this had a budget of, I believe, either 65 or $75 million. And at right. the time, it was the largest budget for a film with an all-black cast. Yes. And and it shows. The costumes, mm-hmm. the set design, the, the the light, like everything is is beautiful. And everybody looks beautiful. I think Bill Condon's direction is fantastic. I, I think this is a shorthand um, like he, he's, there's a lot of visual storytelling there. There's this effect that he has throughout with the performances where the performances are under the spotlight, mm-hmm. but then it's just darkness right mm-hmm. outside of the spotlight. And it's this great visual reminder that, that right outside of the performance, you have all of these pitfalls. Right. Right. 
Eddie Murphy, like you said, every accolade Eddie Murphy has gotten for this role, he should have gotten. And like you, I think I, I forgot how much he's in here acting. Yeah. I think, you know, I think he has three big musical numbers that when we talk about his performance, we kind of go to the um, performances. You, you know, the first one, Fake Your Way to the Top, is, mm-hmm. is in my mind the most joyful performance in the film. Like just everyone <laughs> in the cast is having a ball. Um, right. The I Want You Baby sequence, I think should have been on his tape for the Academy Award because watching him unravel from being this guy was just masterful. It really was. Mm-hmm. All jokes aside, not enough of my girl, Anika Noni Rose. <laughs> if you're familiar with the play, they cut her storyline a little bit. They cut out her big song. Yes, but I did. understand. Like I like if like if I had to make cuts to the storyline, I understand the cuts that they would have made. Um, much like you, I found Jamie Foxx's Curtis character flat. And yeah. and a bit one note, which in a lot of ways is is different from the play. A lot. Be- because yeah. in the play, I think you get a much more complicated character. Whereas mm-hmm. in this, like like the first time you see Curtis, he's like paying off people and j- like mm-hmm. like he's a snake throughout, which I think is a disservice to that character. There's also uh, um you know, I don't want to get into the weeds too much comparing this to the play, but I think it's important when you talk about this character. There are two songs, you know, I got me a Cadillac car and yeah. step into the bad side. And in the play, there the the sequence for got me a Cadillac car, you get a lot more of the process right. of getting to this song and bringing all these different types of music together, which again establishes Curtis as a visionary. Right. As somebody who has this sort of dream, there's that word that comes up throughout. He has a dream. And then when you cut that out and you just have the bad side and him paying off dudes, mm-hmm. you don't really get the sense this is a visionary. You get the sense that this is just a hustler. Right. The other thing, and and I'm sorry, I, I, I really, I, I think, I think Beyonce is so amazingly miscast in this film that it almost derailed the entire thing for me. It really did. Really? It really, really? did. Let me say this, uh, much like you of Jennifer Hudson, let's be real. Jennifer Hudson had one job in this movie. She had one job. She had right. to nail I Am Telling You. Which That's true. I had no idea if she'd be able to pull it off. But much like you, I remember sitting in the theater going, damn, she actually pulled it off. And like even today in my house, there was some debate. Like we pulled up Jennifer Holiday on YouTube singing it. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that you can actually debate which, which one is better. has the best version is such a testament to Jennifer H- Hudson. She Be- filmed that scene over four days. And like you said, we all grew up with Jennifer Holiday's version. Yep. Like, yep. so she's really competing with you know, 40 years of memories. I mean, Mm -hmm. 20 years of memories in 2000, you know, 25 years of memories is one of the most iconic performances in theatrical history. And she holds her own. 
Yeah. But much like you, I was also pleasantly surprised at how warm her acting was and, and all of that. Here's my Beyonce thing. And this has been my, my problem since it happened. Much like you said, this is a this this is the Supremes. I think it's funny, like you look at all the interviews and you and I have been through Dream Girls. Like you said, we grew up with it. There's been a whole lot of back and forth. Oh, it's based on the Supremes. Oh, it's not based on the Supremes. Oh, I didn't really do it with the Supremes. It's just, this is straight up the Supremes. And yeah, one, of the, yeah. one of the decisions that Bill Condon made that I really like is how he leans into it. Oh, yeah. So, so that, oh, yeah. you know, the, the Dreams wear Supremes outfits, basically. Beyonce has a mahogany sequence where she's, mm-hmm. you know, dressed. There's a Jackson 5 parallel on there that, you know, the Michael Jackson boy has a relationship with Dina Jones. But here's the thing about Diana Ross and frankly, Dina Jones, when you think about Dina Jones in this story. Much like Dina Jones... Diana Ross was not the best singer in the Supremes. Florence right. Ballard was. Florence right. Ballard had the voice. Florence Ballard blew. They actually kind of obliquely reference Florence Ballard when they're doing heavy, and they mm-hmm. tell and they tell Effie to, to back up a little bit from yeah. the mic. Yeah. Florence Ballard's voice apparently was so powerful that she had to back up from the mic. Right. So, Dina Jones, and they say it a couple of times in the film. Dina Jones does not have a memorable voice, mm-hmm. first of all. That's just the objective truth. This is subjective, but I, I don't have a problem saying this on tape. Diana Ross won the prettiest Supreme. Okay. Okay. Mary Wilson was. Okay. And if you look at them pictures of the Supremes, Mary Wilson looks like a damn model standing over True. on the side. Very true. Diana Ross's whole strength was that she played her position. Right. And she was a team player and she could be a conduit for Barry Gordy's dream and his vision. Right. Much like Dina Jones, and this is in the script. First thing you say when they sing back up, he talks to um, Linnell, Linnell, Lorel, because she the fond one. Mm Mm-hmm. She sings first. Effie sings last. And she does the Effie stuff. And he says, well, I knew you got it. And what's he say to Effie? I mean, what's he say to Dina? You fit right in. Right. There's not one moment in this film when Beyonce isn't just Beyonce. She's just Beyonce. Okay. Okay. When the film starts, she's Beyonce. In the middle, when she's Dina Jones, she's Beyonce. Towards the end, where she becomes her own woman, where again, this is Diana Ross. When Diana Ross breaks from Barry Gordy and then becomes, you know, Nile Rogers era Diana Ross. At the end, she's Beyonce. Right. We can argue about who sings better, Beyonce or Jennifer Hudson, but Beyonce can sing her ass off. Yes, she can. And there's not one moment where Beyonce lets you forget that. When she sings Dream Girls, compare it to Cheryl Lee Ralph singing it, where, Cheryl mm-hmm. Re- where she does that kind of breathy Diana Ross yeah. singing. Yeah. Beyonce yeah. is blowing. Right. 
Okay, I feel you. I feel you. I think all right and true men of good nature know that a Nika Noni Rose is the finest thing in this film. <laughs> but there are some who would argue that Beyonce is is prettier than a Nika mm-hmm. Noni Rose. Okay. I wouldn't. And you certainly are going to say that Beyonce is pretty. Right. So Curtis's whole vision is that he put the pretty girl and let's just talk, I mean, you know, let's just be real with it. The, the, um, the, um, the visuals of it, the optics, mm-hmm. if they will, she's mm-hmm. also lighter than the other two. Yes. Yes. So he put the pretty light skinned girl who sings really well out front. Yes. That's, that's his revolutionary move. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's Curtis's move. That's how well, Curtis, but, that's what separates Curtis from like any schlub off the street. He chooses Beyonce to be out front. Well, For, let's, that, that is a, but that's, that is a hard choice to make, especially at the point that he makes that choice. Come He's on, Lynn, watching. It, it You've is. seen dream girls, right? You've seen it on yeah. stage. For yes, Dina yes. Jones to work, you do not pay attention to her until the song. That's true. Okay. Bill Condon cannot take the camera off of Beyonce. Half the time when the three of them are standing together, she's standing in the middle of them. There's never a moment when there's a transformation. She's just Beyonce the whole film. And in my mind... That's worse than her acting. Like you said, Beyonce ain't never going to be nobody's actor. But, uh, you know, like you said, just get out the way. In my mind, the optics of Beyonce are more distracting than her acting. And not only does it undermine Curtis, I think it ends up undermining the whole thing. Because unless you believe in Curtis's vision and, and Curtis as a visionary, the whole thing, like he's just... An asshole. Well, the thing that I will I will agree with you on is that the flip, because what happens is that Curtis is having a relationship with Effie, right? Yes. And and it seems like it's a very, you know, uh sincere relationship you know Effie's basically saying like yo I don't want to mess around with no married dude and I don't want to mess around with no young boy I want to mess around with a man and to her Curtis is coming off as a man right Um, and she even clowns Laurel and Dina about it when they're going on about whomever is in their life Um, so the thing I will say is that when the switch comes that Curtis is now seeing Dina and he's having a relationship with her, I don't think the movie really, really uh, signals that so much for for you. I think it more or less just tells you that it's happened, that it's happened. Like, you know, like every, like, Effie basically, you know, exclaims to the audience, like, everyone knows that you two are sleeping sleeping with one another. And I don't think that there's an, ever a moment where you see, 
like you usually see like you know the the cutting of eyes between one another sure. you know um because the only real thing that you see like you mentioned it, that is kind of telegraphed is Curtis move when he's noticing when they're performing in Miami that the white audiences and primarily the younger white men are looking, paying attention to Beyonce, to Dina Jones. And it's then when he realizes, okay, we've got to make a move. We've got to move her to the front. Which again, Um, even that like, and and I blame, I, I blame Bill Condon for that. How is like, like, like Curtis is like, I can't believe like, it's like he has an aha moment that somebody notices friggin' Beyonce. Well, I, I, I believe, I believe that that is still a bit of an aha moment because it's not like Jennifer Hudson, Effie's character it's lacking for anything. The only the only thing you might say about her, you know, admittedly, is that she she's she's uh, a, you know bigger than the other two people that she's singing with, um, but she's probably as every bit as pretty as them, and definitely has the more, the stronger voice. Um, but for the audience that he wants to market them towards, he's got to make this. He's got to make this move. Um, and I, 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 what for whatever reason I bought it in this movie. Right. I didn't right. one. I didn't one hundred percent buy that he flipped and now was with um, Dina. But it's a story as old as time, so you can kind of see it coming. But I don't think that the film does a good job in in uh, storytelling wise in telling you that. You know, so in showing yeah. you that. Yeah. So I'll give you that. But but to Beyonce, I will say that, that, that I hear you on saying that, you know, she is definitely Beyonce throughout the film and you don't really see a whole lot of transformation from her. Even though I will say it was very interesting for me that you actually see a scene of her in a stocking cap. I don't think I've ever seen Beyonce in a stocking cap. So I was like, oh, wow, she's got a stocking cap. But anyway, put a um, pin in that because I think that's important. Go ahead. But uh, so she is she is Beyonce throughout this film. Um, the part where she got in the way for me a little bit was and and I'll, and I'll admit this may be my my Beyonce, you know, bias or my feelings about her getting in the way here is that Jennifer Hudson's character is definitely the soul of the film. her storyline is the soul of this film right Right. and this film is a probably a good 10 to 15 minutes longer than it needs to be and i think a part a big part of that is eaten up by you know they they like you said cut out some parts from this from the film uh, from the stage play, particularly a lot of the storyline that had to deal with Laurel, Anika Noni Rose's character, um, and, and some of her bigger and some of her numbers, and truncated some of the other numbers. But they added four other songs to this original songs to the film, and one of them, uh, the song "Listen" yes. by Beyonce, yes. I feel was one hundred percent just a big you know, um, 
grab for original song for a motion picture Oscar uh, contender um, on behalf of Beyonce. Plus, and I she think can't that that, sing. I'm telling. She can't sing. I'm telling you. Right. So, so they've got to give own, you. I got to have my own. You know, bring down the houser. Exactly. She's she's got to have her own anthem. You know. Right. And I felt that Ridiculous. that came across a little telegraphed and a little like you know out of out of nowhere from this film. I don't think it necessarily had had to happen. I, I'm not mad at the song itself. You know, the song the song is what it is. But I don't think that the song had to be as performative as it was. You know, no. there are moments there are moments when she's doing it where you've gotten little bits of storytelling happening underneath um, when you realize that she wasn't part of, you know, jerking over Effie's character by doing a a, um, a remake of her comeback single. I don't even think that that part is, is well told. I think you're kind of like, you know, you, you, you figure it out what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, but I think that that could have been done for... And you could have done away with as much of just watching her have her big Oscar play there on screen. Now, I'll say that at at that moment, I felt it when I saw it originally in 2006 and I felt it watching it again here. That was a moment that took me out of the film a little bit. And I would have just as been just as happy if that was not part of the film. But other than that, for the most part, she didn't get in. She didn't get in my way. She probably and let's face it. For Dreamgirls to to get made, I mean, this is a film that they thought at one time they were going to make with Whitney Houston years yeah. before. Which um, also would have been terrible casting. It would have been terrible casting. Um, but And Whitney Houston, she was trying to make the the, the ultimate diva move in, in, in her pro- uh, production of it because she wanted to sing all of the songs. She wanted to sing <laughs> Dina's songs and Effie's songs. She was going to you know? sing like Stepping to the Bad Side. You know what I mean? Exactly. She was like, "Why can't we just clone me?" And it's just me. Is is the is the Whitneyettes? You know. Um, it's funny you should bring up Whitney Houston. I have some Whitney Houston stuff. Go ahead. But uh, uh, in that too, I, I I for the for the most part, I uh, Beyonce just didn't get in, get in away with for me. And they needed they needed a name to ultimately get this movie done. And she is the name. I think for the most part, she does stay out of the way. I think she does let Jennifer Hudson get her shine on. Um, yes, probably they did cut some of Anika Noni roles for sake of building her up, plus giving Terrible. her that big number. But for the, for the most part, I think she plays her position well in the film. Well, Beyonce did lobby for the role. Like mm-hmm. the film was in pre Like, you know, I, we can, we're not like it would have been made. I don't know if it would have had the budget, but but it was well on its way to being made. And I will say this, and, and you mentioned Beyonce with the the stocking cap on at one point. To be clear, I think there's a difference between Beyonce's acting and Beyonce's presentation in okay. this film. And I do think that the presentation, this is 2006, where I think like the Beyonce machine is in full motion and, and, you know, she, she can, she must be flawless at all times. And I've said for years that I thought that this was terrible and I don't know how she could have done it, but I mentioned this summer I watched a homecoming. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I did not like homecoming mainly because it's a concert film. 
and I don't really like Beyonce's music. But the parts where Beyonce isn't singing, like the parts where th- that are just about her as a woman, mm-hmm. I think are very illuminating. And she is raw and she is vulnerable and and she's not all made up. And I think if that Beyonce could have been in this, you would have had more of a chance to see that transformation. Because I really do believe that many of us, when we talk about dream girls are like me and you, like, you know, we didn't see it for years and you heard the music. And when you hear the music, the, I am telling you really is the hook, but I think Dina Jones is the key to this working. Okay. And you gotta have that, like you must have that moment where the curtain opens and the dreams come out for the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't establish it, it just loses momentum. So that really, and, and it, it really is just the voice and, and the visuals kind of messed it all up for me. It's funny you mentioned Whitney Houston because I was talking to, you, you know, my daughter is, is a Beyonce fan and, and she will, what do you want Beyonce to do? You know what I wouldn't mind? If Beyonce remade The Bodyguard. Oh. Like that's Ooh, actually a character she could play. It's interesting. You know, but Dina Jones, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, (laughs) still liked it. You know, I still like it. You know, I think it's a beautiful movie. I I mean, hell, I think Eddie Murphy is worth the price of admission, frankly. Really? Someone asked, uh, do you feel that Eddie Murphy should have won the Oscar for his performance? Uh, Was he nominated? He was nominated, wasn't he? I actually I'm looking up at the 2006 because uh, I don't nominees. even remember who was nominated or who won. I know he's better than a lot of people have been, but I honestly, you know, I just don't remember who was up for an Oscar that year. And I will tell you in a moment. Uh, 2000. Well, this was in 2006, so so I guess it would have been the 2000 and. Would that have been the 2007 Oscars? I mean, it was whatever year Jennifer Hudson won. Yeah, it would have to be that year. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I'll let you know in a second. Fortunately, this all can be edited out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when, Except when for those of you watching show. it live. Um, yes. Yes, he was nominated in 2007. He was nominated uh, alongside Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, he was Jackie- good in that. Jackie Earl Haley in Little Children. Uh, I didn't see that. Demon Hansu in Blood Diamond. Okay, he was better than him in that. And Mark Wahlberg in The, the, the Departed. He and was I, good, if man. I remember correctly, I think Marky, I think Marky Mark won. Really? Not Alan Arkin? What'd you say? <laughs> It seems like Alan Arkin would have won from that list. You would think. Uh, you're right. Alan Arkin did win. Yeah. Alan Arkin I was won. about to say, because that sounds like a Lifetime Achievement Award that the Oscars love giving out. Although Alan Arkin was very good in Little Miss Sunshine. He is very good in Little He's Miss Sunshine. very good. But I think Eddie Murphy was better. I think you get more colors with Murphy's performance. I see. I I don't know. I don't know. I think I think he's good. I think he's very good. 
Um, and Alan Arkin has a better cast to work with. Like Eddie Murphy does a lot of this work on his own. Like he and Anika right. Noni Rose have a couple of good moments together, but a lot of Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy working by himself. Yeah, it's true. But I, I still, I, I don't, I don't have any problem with Alan Arkin winning that. Oh, I, don't I think have any it, problem. I'm just saying. I, I I think that Alan Arkin was a very good in Little Miss Sunshine. I think he maybe did a little bit more than Eddie in this film. Um, now I'll say that if anybody but Alan Arkin had won it, oh yeah yeah we we'd have been fighting. We'd right. definitely been fighting. Um, but I'm not I'm not mad at Alan Arkin for for taking that. I can't be mad at that. So um, and know, Eddie, I, I I wanted to circle back to Danny Glover. And and I think okay. Danny Glover was was amazing with as you said not a whole lot mm-hmm. to work with, mm-hmm. but but you know Danny Glover really is this master actor. I love the scene with him and Jennifer Hudson when he is real with her up on that stage when he br- brings her to an audition. And without being belligerent, without being even belittling in any way, he gives her the straight up and down of what it, it has got to be. You know, I think I think the couple of scenes between he and Eddie Murphy are fantastic. Yeah, I think they're good. too. Like like everything about their relationship, like everything mm-hmm. about their relationship, you know, in what like like are they together for three scenes? Maybe three scenes, maybe that's it. And at least one of those scenes, Jamie Foxx and a bunch of other people are in the scene with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Danny Glover does, does doing good work. It's it, it's good acting for the most part. Everybody in this film. Um, yeah. It, it, I think it's and I think it's a film that ages well. I think you can watch this and really enjoy it. Um, it does. I, I will say though that there's a part of me that is a little bummed that the film is out there because I think it becomes that easy for the next generation to just find this streaming someplace and check it out as opposed to taking the opportunity and seeing this where it, I still feel it belongs and that's up on a stage. I 100% agree. And, and, you know, I just have, you know, I'm just going to keep coming back to this. Um, Like you, I, all I knew was the music. And I didn't even even really know the music. I just knew I am telling you. And I mm-hmm. saw it on stage for the first time. Dude, I think I was 30 something before I. So like I didn't actually know the storyline. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I actually saw it here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, it just it struck me so much because the um, version that we saw performed that ledger main perfectly. Where the first part of the play, it's Laurel and Jimmy. And that's yep. a huge, like, that's a huge plot. And yep. there's, and yep. you know, and there's Effie and, and Effie, you know, going back and forth with the singing. And then Dina is just sort of standing there. Yeah. And yeah. the actress that played Dina in the um, production I saw was just sort of tall and lanky. Mm. And she was just sort of, you know, hey, this is the third one. And then when it opens and says presenting the dreams and you see her for the first time in the stuff. Right, right, right. 
I'll give you that. I will say, that. yeah, you're right. You're it's right. like, oh, and then you realize, like you, like you, you're with Curtis. Yeah. Like you're pulling yeah. for Curtis, and you know, and then Curtis. When I first saw you, and it's like, yeah, because Curtis is a visionary. Yeah, yeah, Curtis, you're right. You're you're right. You know, Curtis is building something. Like Curtis, right? You know, has this like. I don't know how much of a visionary you have to be to put Beyonce in front of some people. I feel, I feel you on that. I do feel you on that. That's true. That, that, is, that, is, that is missing from this. You and know, to be clear, um, let's be clear. That's not Beyonce's fault. It's not. It's that's absolutely the filmmaker's fault. Not. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. But you're right. That is a moment that is a very powerful moment in the stage production that is missing in this film. And and it 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 is missing because of who you have cast in it. Not her her acting wise, but just because of her presence. So you're right. absolutely right. right. I actually wish they had cast it with all unknowns. Like I know you can't do that kind of thing, but I, I and initially they wanted to. But mm-hmm. like I would have loved to have seen this with three unknowns. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it would have been nice. But in two thousand six, you, you, like you said, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, Deborah Battle mentions that Amber Riley from Glee did a really good job playing Effie. Effie is one of those roles. I mean, for a long time, for a long time, this. The, the songs of dream girls are the. This is the songs that that music auditions are made for. You know oh yeah. I mean? Oh yeah, you know this is a and again, piece. The fact that Jennifer Hudson actually brings it is mm-hmm. is is remarkable. Yeah, is is yeah. Remar- and and she and she murders it. Yes, she does. Like she murders she, everything in this film, man. Yeah, and I was amazed to find out that she actually gained weight for the for the role. She gained twenty pounds for the role. Yeah, yeah, she gained weight. Beyonce lost some significant amount of weight. Too. Right. Right, because yeah. she was on like the, the yeah, yeah. Um, good film, good film. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Even with my misgivings, I, I think the good outweighs the bad. Well, certainly, the the good really outweighs the bad. So, I guess would you uh, would would you recommend Dream Girls, Lynn? I, I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. I think it's a good time. I think it's a, a film that. Um, plays well in a group. It plays well in a small, intimate setting. Uh, I think that... um, I also think that, speaking of Jennifer Hudson and where her life um, uh, tragically went in in the years following um, uh, and her, you know, picking herself up from the ashes of some personal tragedies that she had um, and her her singing career and to uh, probably to some degree, her acting career has been steady, but I don't think it has reached the heights that people thought it would reach um, in in the years succeeding. Uh, I think it's, it's good to return to, you know, why all the hype of Jennifer Hudson? Because, because dream girls, yeah, that, I think it's good to to return to that. And also, you know, if you think that you saw Eddie Murphy doing some good stuff and, you know, Dolomite is my name, you ain't seen nothing until yeah. you've seen him in Dreamgirls. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think, once again, I think this is a beautiful film. 
I think this is a beautiful film. And just on that level, I think you can count maybe two hands with a bunch of fingers left. How many films starring a black cast just look this good? Mm-hmm. Just look mm-hmm. this. You, you know, it's funny. It, it, it said, you know, the, with the, the largest budget with the black cast. And it said like, I forget if it was 65 or 75. But then I looked up Black Panther, which was 200 million. Right. And then, you know, you just sort of, well, you, you know, I guess technically that's not an all black cast. Like right. it's all black people and one white guy. And then, you know, it's part of the Marvel machine. But mm-hmm. I do think there's something to be said for these films that just look so beautiful. Yeah. You know, just yeah. look so beautiful. Like we talked about this with something like Malcolm X and, you know, just, just these beautiful films. I think the direction is fantastic. I think the acting across the board is great too, as you would say, not distracting. Not mm-hmm. enough Anika Noni Rose, but what you gonna do? <laughs> um, Eddie Murphy, I think this is the best thing Eddie Murphy's ever done. I think this is the best thing Eddie Murphy has ever done. And in fact, I have been disappointed with Eddie Murphy since this film up until Dolomite is my name. Yeah. I agree with that one. Uh, the, you know, the music is great. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a solid film. This is good. You know, despite my misgivings, I think there's a solid film. So check it out, ladies and gentlemen, 2006's Dream Girls. Go check that wherever um, you are watching streaming films um, and have yourself a good time with the dreams. Before we tell you what we are going to be reviewing next week on Black History Month, I invite you, as always, to like and follow us on all the social medias at the Me Show Mission, at the Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, the Facebook group is always on and popping. Join the Facebook group. We love to chat with all of the missionaries. The Me Show Mission is available on MeshowMission.com as a podcast and also as a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure. Go to thepodglomerate.com and check out all they got there for your earbuds. We're also available any place and every place that you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, you name an app, the show mission is there. And if we're not... Tell somebody because we will make it so or they'll make it so because you need it to be. That's what we're going to do for you. The Michelle Mission is also available as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM, Philly Cam, People Powered Media, 106.5 FM in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday morning. At 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. All right, Vince. All right. Black Black Music Month is rolling along, and next week is your turn. What are we going to be singing our tunes to? We are going to keep it with 60s girl group movies. We are going to keep it with 60s girl group movies, talking about adaptations uh, this is not an adaptation, but this is a remake of a film that we talked about previously. We are going to spend some time with 2012's remake. 
of the film Sparkle. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. If, if I remember last correct. film. Yes, her final yes. Um, film performance. Yes. Okay. Sparkle. Yeah, so we'll spend some time with Sparkle. All right. All right. Join us next week, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say... We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.